0: I feel like I'm at home. My name is Andrew Barnes. Uh, I've been coming to redemption for about 10 months now. Growing up in church, just, it's what you do. That's what you do on Sundays. You don't deviate from it. You put on your face and you show up and you go to church and that's just it. You're never allowed to express if you're depressed, if you're happy, sad, anything that's outside of, hey, everything's going great. Got to a place in my life where church didn't seem that important. If all I'm doing is going to church on Sunday and singing a couple of songs and listening to a sermon, what's the point I can just sit at home and do that because no one's gonna engage with me during the week. No one's gonna call to hang out. No one's gonna wanna check in on me and see how life is going or vice versa. So why can't I just do that at home? Um, So I just stopped going to church. One thing that I don't want to say brought me back to church, because it's not like church is about people, but I mean, it kind of is. Because I found authentic people, I kind of found authenticity in God. And God cares about my problems and cares to fix them enough and, like, actually wants to. And it's not just a burden. It's different seeing people, a church full of people who should not be in church, who just don't belong in church. It was a culture shock to me almost of how how much genuine joy people had and were excited to be here at church. And I think that was a huge breath of fresh air for me and kind of revitalized a lot of things in my life.
1: longest decade of my life. Like, I feel like I aged in dog years. I mean, it was just insane. And then I blinked and 2021 is over. Can you believe it's already 2022? Oh my goodness. I still haven't processed 2020 yet. We just skipped a year. We're in the future now. It's 2022. It's been a crazy few years with the pandemic, with the presidential elections and all the economic uncertainties and everything that goes in to it. And along with all of the crazy and chaos, it's really brought about a lot of transitions and changes in people's life. Let's just think about it. How many of you over the last two years have made like a major life decision that you've maybe moved, started a new job, new career, maybe you went back to school for your master's? Anybody started some, some major transitions? One thing that I noticed, which was interesting, is that over the last few years, increase in people who have moved or relocated. Now, most of those are coming from California to Texas, amen, but... In 2020, there was 800,000 more people moved than any other year before. That's a major change. You also have people who are you know, finding new schools for their kids, pulling them out of public school, homeschooling, going from homeschooling to public schooling. You have people who are relocating for college, maybe change of career and vocation, buying new homes. Those are some big changes. Me and my wife, Ashley, we're actually going to be starting to get into the market. To, to buy us a new house, that's going to be a, a really big change. For those of you who are making changes, what do you do? Do you just close your, close your eyes, hold your nose, and then cross your fingers and just hope for the best? No, what do you do? Whenever you make a major life change, what do you do? You figure out what it is that you want. You, you make a plan, and then you make a list. You need to know what it is that you're looking for. So for me and my wife, when we're looking to buy a house, we don't just go on the internet and just find the first house on the market. You're like, there we go, top of the search results. Google said it's number one, so let's just go ahead and buy that house. And then we like move the kids on in, and we're all just crammed in like this old town duplex. Like No, we don't want to do that, because we know what it is that we're looking for. So we're looking for four bedrooms, because we need one for me and Ashley, one for you my girls and one for all of my books, which are precious to me. We need to have, we know what we're looking for. We need a large living room so that way we can host a small group. We know what it is that we are looking for. Or let's say you buy a car. You're looking to buy a new car. That's a big decision, because you're going to have that car note for several years. And so you need to know what you're looking for. You don't just buy the first car that you test drive. What do you do? You go online. You pull up all the different reports. And then you kind of learn about the specs and all the different things that go along with that car. Consumer reviews. Figure out what it is that you are looking for before you go and buy that car. How about this? Getting in a relationship. Ladies, single ladies, right? do you know what you're looking for when you get into a relationship? You know what you're looking for? You better. And I would say that you need to have higher standards than just they have a pulse, right? You need to actually have, have higher standards for yourself, right? Okay, have higher standards. Like, well, you know, like um, he breathes through his mouth. I guess that's good enough, right? No, you need to have higher standards than that. I'll just give you a couple, just some good advice, just a few things to, to look for. Look for a guy who has a Bible, and he can actually read that Bible. Look for a guy who has a job, doesn't live with his mom, and is in a small group. Because you know if he's in a small group, he's surrounded by other people who hold him accountable so he could be the person that God wants for you to be with, right? Because as Christians, we don't just date for fun. No, we date for a future, and the purpose of dating is to get married, right? And so you need to know what it is that you are looking for, because if you don't, then you're going to end up in a lot of trouble. We understand this when it comes to every aspect of our life, but there's one aspect that I would submit to you that is often overlooked, but it's incredibly important. And that is what to look for when you're looking for a new church. That's what Paul's gonna talk to us about, what to look for when we're looking for a new church out of Colossians chapter one, verses three through 14. And let me just submit to you this, that finding a new church is really hard, it's really difficult, And oftentimes, it's really awkward, amen? Because you never know what it is that you're going to expect. Like you you try to do your research, you look up online, you find them on social media, and you wonder, okay, can I fit into that church? What is the service going to be like? Are they gonna keep me there for three hours? Are they gonna take up 14 offerings? I don't know what this church is gonna be like. Is there gonna be people who are like me? Is there gonna be, you know, people who are friendly but not too friendly? You ever been to that church? That church is way overly friendly. I'll give you a little story. Me and Ashley, before I was a pastor, we were looking for a, a new church. And we went and we visited this one church and we walked in. It's a, it's a smaller church of about 40, maybe 50 people. And the pastor said, now we're going to go into our favorite time of the service. And I'm like, is it worship? Are we going to like see some people get baptized? Are we going to take communion? Like is the, is the sermon about to start? And here's what they said. It's time for us to greet our guests. If you're a guest here, would you please stand up and we were the only guests there. And so awkwardly, we, we stand up and then, just to make matters worse, here's what they did. They played, we are family. We are family. Everybody go greet the guests. And like all 40 of them lined up to shake me and Ashley's hand. And I'm like, not remembering your name, not remembering your name, because I'm never coming back here again this is so awkward. You ever, you ever been there? You ever been to that church? Okay. Well, welcome to that church. If you're a guest here, would you go in, and please stand? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. The awkwardness is going to come later. All right, here we go. Uh, but finding a new church is so awkward, but I would submit to you that it's probably one of the most beautiful and important things that you will ever do because it's in that church you're going to hear the word of God preached. It's going to form you, shape you, mold you, and transform you to become who God created you to be. You're going to learn doctrine. You're going to learn truth. You're going to see love and grace applied into your life. It's going to be in that church that your children, they're going to be discipled and you're going to be equipped to bring that discipleship at home. You're going to learn to pray over your children and one day your children are going to be baptized in that church, if you're single, you might meet your your future spouse in the lobby after service over a donut and a cup of coffee, and then you might end up getting married in that church, and that pastor is going to do your premarital counseling, and that small group, they're going to support you during that first year of your marriage, and then you're going to have some kids, and guess what? It's going to be that church that's going to be visiting you in the hospital, and they're going to be bringing you meal trains and diapers, and they're going to help you through that process because it's in the church. You find a local community to do life. With. You're going to grow, you're going to learn, you're going to stand, you're going to make a difference. You're going to be able to give away over 500 turkeys as part of a Turkey Day giveaway. You're going to be able to help plant churches both in America and overseas. You're going to give water filtration systems to villages in Haiti. You're going to partner with with, with Convoy of Hope and the Feed One, and we're going to just feed an entire school in Africa all year next year. You get the opportunity to do that when you're part of a local church. And so I know it may be awkward, I know it may be weird, but But it's so incredibly important because it's going to be that church that is going to be the people that you do life with. And so when it comes time for you to find a new church, here's what you need. You need to know what it is that you're looking for. And the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us five things in the sermon today about what to look for when looking for a new church. Now, let me just go ahead and say this up front. It's not just preaching, worship, prayer, communion and baptism. That's what most people think. Most people are like, hey, what are you looking for in a church? They say, I need a church that just preaches the word. I need a church where, where, where they just pray. We need a, a pray in church. Okay, those things are true. Because if a church is not preaching the Bible, guess what? That's not a church. Okay, if a church isn't baptizing people, that's not a church. If they're not taking communion on a frequent basis, that's not a church. If they're not loving people and having communion, that's not a church. Okay, so every church in the world should be doing those things or else that church is apostate and lost its way. They are no longer a church. So when it comes to finding a church, there's a few different things that we need to, to look for. And that's what Paul's going to give us today when it comes to looking for in a church. So if you have your Bible, turn me to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And we are going to preach the Bible, learn from God's word, and we're going to see what to look for when looking for a church. Let me just read it all up front. We'll break it down on the back end, and then we'll apply it to our lives. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we, what's the word? Pray. He's going to pray. That's very important. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. Very important. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ, and the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also done among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might." For the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, period. Somebody needs to teach that boy how to put a comma in there. He has (laughs) delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of sins. Now, listen, I told you last week, the author of the book of Colossians is Paul, but the source behind the book of Colossians is the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write this letter to the church at Colossae. And where is he writing this letter from? Prison. He's sitting in prison, and he is praying for his church, Let me give you a brief little update on the Apostle Paul. So Paul's a traveling missionary church planter. He was a murderer, become a missionary. He was a persecutor of the church who got saved, converted, and now he goes and he plants churches. One of the churches he plants is in Acts chapter 19. It's a church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a large, major, pagan port city. It's one of the largest cities in the ancient world world. I believe that they estimate there would be upwards of 200 to maybe 500,000 people in ancient times. That's a whole lot of people. It's a very massive city. Paul rolls in and it's probably my favorite church that he plants. You know why? Because it starts with riots, protests, and setting things on fire. I love that. He just rolls into town. People start freaking out and burning things. And they're like, what are we doing? We don't even know. That's basically the story in Acts chapter 19. Go home and read it. It's amazing. And so he starts this church by preaching the gospel. He plants the church. And then he spends three years there raising up leaders. One of those leaders, is a man named Epaphras. We meet him here in Colossians chapter one. Epaphras becomes the pastor of the church in Colossae. So he sends Epaphras from Ephesus. He starts a church in Colossae. Paul moves on to the next place, eventually gets arrested, thrown into prison, give it a few years, and Epaphras writes him a letter saying, "Uh uh-oh, our church is in trouble. Paul learns about the problems, struggles, and troubles that the church at Colossae is in, and then he writes this letter of encouragement, of correction, but it's also a letter of prayer. Prayer. Paul starts this letter by doing what? By praying for his church. He loves the church. He wants to see the church grow. He wants to see the church be faithful, fruitful. He wants to see the church succeed. And so what does Paul do? Paul spends the first half of this letter by praying for his church. I told you this last week. Big fancy college word. You ready? Indicative, imperative, imperative can we say that together? Indicative imperative. There you go. Now, you know, you got your money's worth and church is free. There you go. Indicative imperative. That, what does that mean? That means God oftentimes tells you who you are before he tells you what he expects out of you. All right, so Paul starts off this letter by reminding them who they are, what God has called them to be, and then later he's gonna give them some things to do. The first half is all about just remembering who you are because of who Jesus is. Now, oftentimes in our life, what do we wanna do? We wanna just jump to fixing stuff. But that's not what Paul does. That's what a lot of times we do. We're like, things are broken, can you just fix it? No, first we gotta figure out why is it broken? And then we can learn how to fix it. Like that's what we a lot, and a lot of times we just run into church and say, I've made a big mess of my life. Can you just please fix it in a 45 minute sermon and maybe five minutes in the lobby? Pastor, I just, I just need you to fix it. How many times have you ever just thought, this is not working. I need some help. I need somebody to fix it. Or what about whenever someone comes to you and they're like, hey, this isn't working. And then you just say, here's all the things that you can do to fix it. That's typically what we want. But I love this. God doesn't do that for us. God, before he tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. This is what Paul's doing. He's not going to get in there like, okay, Colossians, you need to do this, 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 this. This is wrong. This is not appropriate. I can't believe you did that. Never do that again. You should try this instead. I tried this over here one time, and it worked. and maybe that's going to work for you. That's not what he does. No, what he does is he spends the very beginning by praying for the church. And you know why Paul prays for the church? Because that church has got some problems. You know why you pray? Because there's a problem. And so he's praying for the church. Why? Because they have problems. When you're looking for a church, here's what you need to understand is there is no such thing as a perfect church. Why? Because there are no perfect people. Like the church, Redemption Church, was amazing when it was just me and Ashley and then all y'all showed up and ruined it. Right, We planted this church, and when it was on paper, it was perfect. And then y'all showed up, and you messed up our plan. You know why? Because people are not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, you will never find a perfect church because there's no such thing as perfect people. Listen, in the church, what happens so many times is people get this false idea that the early church, they were perfect. We need to be like the early church. Man, the early church was perfect. They didn't have any problems. Yeah, they did. You ever read Corinthians? Dude was sleeping with his mom. Can we just take a vote right now? That's a problem. That's a big problem. Okay, what about, what about the church in Galatians? Right, they, they were more conservative than God. They're like, God, that's a great list of rules that you like, but it's just not enough. Let's go ahead and add more rules to that. Hey, God, you did a great job, but luckily we're here. We're here to help. We're going to go beyond what you wrote, and we're going to add different things. I mean, the Galatians, they just be like looking at Jesus like, you know, I know he can walk on water, but his hair is kind of long. I just don't think of that beard thing. I mean, he resurrected the dead, but, oh, that beard, they just can't have that beard in our church. Nope, not in the church of Galatia. And so Paul writes to him and says, hey, chill out. So both churches need to come back into the middle. I love what Martin Luther says, that churches are like drunk people and that if you put them on a horse, they always fall to the left or to the right. The goal is that we just stay on the horse, stay front and center, continue walking with Jesus. Listen, there is no such thing as a perfect church because there's no such thing as perfect people. If you're looking for a perfect church, you are always going to be disappointed. If you're looking for a church where everybody agrees with you, everybody looks like you, acts like you, thinks like you, voted like you, and everybody has the same doctrine as you, and everybody has the same theology as you, and they love the same songs that you love, and you share the same favorite Bible verses, you work in the same job, you parent and raise your kids the exact same way, and everybody does everything exactly the same. It's like cheers when you walk in. Everybody knows your name. If you go to that church, that ain't church, that's a cult. <laughs> be careful with the communion because it might be Kool-Aid. You're like, I love this church. As a guest, they gave me white Nikes. This is amazing. I got to wear this robe. Okay. That's, that's, not, that's not happening. You're not going to find a perfect church. But if you're looking for a church where people's lives are being changed. If you're looking for a church that is studying and growing in their faith, if you're looking for a church that is making a difference, if you're looking for a church that is using their spiritual gifts to be able to motivate and to expand the kingdom of God. If you're looking for a church where broken people come in and get healed, where lost people come in and find grace. If you're looking for a church where there is hope, where there is peace, where there is faith, where the spirit of God dwells. If you're looking for a church that you're going to be able to plug in, serve, make a difference, and change the world. If you're looking for that church, that church is available for you. Just be be aware, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. And there's going to be some people that you don't really get along with very well. But people don't get along with you very well either. (laughs) Why? Because you're not perfect either. If you're, not look, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're going to be disappointed. But if you are looking for a good church, there's a few things that you need to learn to look for. So let me give you these five things. The first thing is this. Is you need to find a church where you are excited about what God is doing. Look what Paul says right here. He says, we always, what's the word? Thank God. For the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and now is indeed through the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God with truth. Now, when I read this, I just can't help that Paul is a little excited. I mean, he's sitting in prison. He gets word back that the gospel is growing and the fruit is increasing and they're making a difference all around the world. I can't help but think when Paul hears this, he's like, that's my church. Those are my people. They're doing the thing. He gets a little excited. See, he may be in prison. Oh, but his heart is free. Because he's celebrating what God is doing in that church. you didn't find you a church where you can get excited about what God is doing. I just imagine Paul, as he's hearing from Epaphras what God's doing, he's just in that prison cell. He's just having a little praise break in that prison cell. He's like, lift up those holy hands, shake off those heavy bands, and praise ye the Lord. That's Paul in prison. You know why? Because Paul, Paul understands what it means to be excited about what God is doing. When you're finding church, do you get excited about what God is doing in the church? At Redemption, we have a rule. We call it uh, rule number five. And oftentimes, I invoke rule number five. You'll hear me in the lobby or our serve team. like, hey, rule number five. You know what that means? Church should be fun. On, that we should have fun when we're in church. We should celebrate. We should laugh. We should raise our hands. We should rejoice. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We want to show the world what joy looks like. We want to show the world what life looks like. We want to experience the full life and the abundant life that Jesus promises for us. So we believe the church. Here's the reason why. It's because there is nothing worse than boring people with the Bible. I mean, have you read this book? It's amazing. Have you read it? It is Life changing, it is destiny altering, it is soul shaking, mind blowing. Look, I know David always beats Goliath, but every time I read it, I'm like, wow. I get it, Jonah always gets thrown up by the whale. But every time I read it, I'm like, wow, I get it. Every time Jesus dies, he resurrects from the dead. But every time I read it, I'm like, that's the best news in the world. I read it, and I just keep getting excited about what God is doing. You should never bore people with the Bible, okay? Because it's fascinating, okay? some people, they, they come into church, they're like, this church, this church just has too much fun. Okay, this is church. You know what you're supposed to do in church? Shh. It's Church. It's church. You gotta say it like that. Church! Take that hat off. You're in church! You should take God seriously. Listen, I do, but whenever I read the Bible, you know what I see? That he rejoices over us, he dances over us. There is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. When I, see, when I read God, I just see God as a father who's just laughing and hugging his kids and he's just happy that you showed up. And so I will not take God more seriously right? than he takes himself. Some of y'all take yourself more serious than God does. You're like, but I just don't believe in emotionalism. Listen, I have seen grown men paint their bodies and dress up like a bird and go to a football game and scream and cheer and chant. And when their team loses, cowboys, you cry in your beer and you have an emotional breakdown and you're like, oh, no. And then you come into church and you're just like, pastor, I got the joy of the Lord where it's in my heart well someone should tell your face that are you excited it's called the good news for a reason listen you can't share the good news with a bad attitude you got to have the good news Are you excited about what God's doing? I'm excited about what God is doing in redemption, right? That's why when you see me, I'm on the front row, dancing, praising the Lord, because I'm just excited about what God's doing in the church. Let me just tell you, did you know that last week we had nine people Give their lives to Jesus in service. Nine people. First service today we had three. I'm excited. You know that last year we had 77 people who went through next steps. Did you know right now we have over 100 people in our discipleship classes at this very moment. Do you know last year we nearly baptized 100 people in our church? When you count them, there's nearly 300 locks on that baptism wall. Those are lives that have been changed forever. Those are destinies that will never look the same because of what God is doing here in this church. I just get fired up when I think about all of the marriages that are being restored. I get fired up when I think about all the pregnancy announcements that I see on Facebook because you know what that means? That means we're about to have some baby dedications up in here. I get excited about that because we're growing church the old-fashioned way. I get excited about those things. I get excited about every single engaged person who just took their wedding photo, their engagement ring photos. I see them pop up. I'm like, oh, marriage counseling there. We got another wedding coming up over there. I just get excited about those things because I'm excited about what God is doing. We're giving to missions. We're planting new churches. We're supporting orphanages and schools in Africa. I get excited about everything that God is doing. I get fired up about it. Three people are with me. All right. And so with all of that excitement... We're going to need a bigger building to house all the excitement that God is doing. Well, guess what? We didn't just buy a building. We bought an entire city block. That's what God's doing here in our church. And I get excited when I just think about people driving past the church. They're going to know there's a big sign that says, Redemption. Redemption. They're not going to be, what is that building when they drive by? They're going to know that is a church. And I get excited when I think about, they just take the downtown exit. There's not a red light or a left turn or a right turn. They just take downtown exit, and they're right here at the church, 601 Park Street. I get excited when I think about our new auditorium. 500 seats. That's 500 souls. That's 500 people who are going to get to hear the good news and the message of Jesus Christ. I get excited when I think about that. I get excited about what God is doing here in the church and I don't care if you say redemption is your home or you want to go somewhere else but all I care about is wherever you stick you get excited about what God is doing in that church you throw yourself in you go all in and you get excited listen it's easy and it's popular to be critical of church You find what you're looking for. If you're looking for a problem, you're going to find a problem. But if you're looking for what God is doing, you better believe you're going to get excited about that. The second thing is this, is that you're encouraged to live out your new identity in Christ. Look down at this word. He talks about this word. He says it twice. It's that word saint. I want you to circle that. That's the theme of this series, saint. That's who you are. Now, some of you might say, but that's not how I feel. It's okay. It's okay. You may not feel like a saint. Listen to me. Your feelings are very real, but your feelings are not always reality. Yeah. Your feelings are meant to be felt, but they're not meant for your, to be followed. Yeah. You need to submit your feelings under your father because he's the one who speaks the better word of your life. Yeah. You may not feel like a saint, but God says that you are. Now, how many of you grew up in a high church, maybe a Catholic background? Okay, yeah, I remember when I was in like fourth grade, I went to a Christian school and I had a buddy who was Catholic and one day he was talking to me about a saint and I, I, it was a mind-blowing moment for me because I, had, I just thought everybody was, went to my church, right? I didn't know people, there was other churches. I thought everybody went to the same church I went to and I was like, whoa, you go to a different church and he was talking about saints. I was like, well, what is it saying? The way he talked about them, it made it seem like they were superheroes, Right? I mean, like, saints. You could be a saint. Like, I almost there like, a division, right? I mean, there's, like, regular Christians. That's where most of them are at. And then there's the super-duper Christians. That's where my grandma was. And then above my grandma, they were the saints. Man. And I was like, the New Orleans saints? He was like, no. The Catholic saints. I was like, wow. They're like superheroes. Do you ever think that? Like, you would never be a saint. I mean, I just think like, super, like Spider-Man or Spider-Man, you know, is bit by a radioactive spider. He can sling webs. Superman, he can fly. Aquaman, he can swim. And <laughs> Tide Lady gives 10%. <laughs> and Forgiveness Boy, he... Loves his enemies, and celibacy man can keep his pants on. Like, wow. They're saints. Oh, I'll never be like that. See the smile right there? Really proud of that one. Rule number five, church should be fun. All right. I'm going to keep going. All right. All right. right. (laughs) But you don't feel like a saint. Well, God says you are a saint. It doesn't matter what you feel. It only matters what is true. And so, so let me give you, let me help you encourage you. Let me give you four ways for you to live out your new identity as saint. I want to encourage you. I want to be a good church. So I'm going to encourage you. Number one, recognize the lie. What area of your life have you believed a lie? So if you hear, I am worthless, I am unworthy, I am unloved, I am pathetic, I have no purpose for my life, I will always be this way and I will never change. You got to recognize that for what it is. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. So what do you do number two? You recognize the lie and then you replace it with truth. What is the truth? The truth is you are worthy because of who Jesus is. The truth of is that you are loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are a part of that whosoever, so therefore you are loved. If you feel like you are pathetic, remember God made you for a purpose and on a purpose. When you feel like your life will always be the same, remind yourself this, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. My past is erased. My future is secure. My identity is sure. I know who I am because I know what he says recognize the lie, replace it with the truth and then renew your mind. This word repentance that we hear all the time in the church, it's the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. In one sense, it's just to turn from your sins, which is absolutely true. But as you turn from your sins, what God does is he begins to renew your mind. You begin to think differently. You begin to see the world differently. You know who God is. You know who he made you to be. And then you're gonna live that life differently. You recognize the lie. You begin to replace it with the truth. And that begins to renew your mind. And then here's what you do. You repeat it every day when your feet hit the floor what are you doing you're recognizing the lie you're replacing it with the truth you're renewing your mind and then you go to bed you wake up and you do it all over the next day you repeat it every single day why because every single day you are a saint that's who you are everyday saints and so the whole theme of this series is to help you live out the new identity in Christ I need you to find a church that will encourage you to live out your new identity that that comes from him Listen, your past may describe you, but it does not define you. When you walk through these doors, listen, I know that you had a bad week. I know that you sinned this week. I know that you made mistakes. I know that you messed up. I know that you failed. I know that you looked yourself in the mirror and you didn't like what you see. I know that happened to you this week. You know how? Because I know that it happened to me. But I want to remind you this, is that, is that your past does not define you. God does. And so when you walk through these doors, I don't want to just beat you up and tell you all the things you did wrong. I want to build you up and tell you who you become. Because that saint is inside of you, and God is in the process of bringing them out. Find you a church that encourages you to live in that new identity. Number three, find you a church where you are equipped by local leaders. Look what he says here. He says, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Who's Epaphras? Well, he's their pastor. And Paul writes here, and he's honoring Pastor Epaphras, and here's here's what he says. He basically gives him his job description. He's given him his 360 performance review. Anybody in leadership, you ever have one of those, a little performance review? So Paul's given him a performance review, and listen to what he says about their pastor. He says he preaches some fire sermons. That's not what he said. He does not say, man, that Epaphras, he sure can't preach the paint off the walls. That's not what he says. He said, man, I'm just so proud of Epaphras because he grew his Instagram count from 5,000 to 15,000 people in the last year. I'm just so proud of Epaphras. He had two videos go viral, one on Facebook and one on TikTok. I'm so proud of Epaphras because he's got a large YouTube following and people overseas, they listen to his messages. I'm so proud. That's not what he says. You know what he says about Epaphras? Look at what he says. He says this. He is a faithful minister, beloved fellow servants. And he talks about how much he loves his church. That's why Paul was impressed with that pastor because he was a faithful servant because he was a fellow minister and because he had a love for the people who called his church home. Listen, for the first several years of our church, I thought my most important job was preaching. I've come to learn that that's not what my most important job is. Now it's an important job. Like, I mean, if I don't preach, we're in trouble. Right, If we just come in and we're like, have some songs, the band sings, and then I'm like, great job, y'all go home. Eventually, people are like, hey, pastor, when are you going to preach a sermon? Right, It's an important part of my job, but it's not the most important part of my job. When me and Ashley moved here to start this church, at the same time we were starting, there was another church that was closing. And I went and met with their denominational leadership, and I just wanted to learn and serve and be a good missionary to our city. And I just met with that leadership, and I said, hey, um, this church is closing. Could you, could you tell me why? And I'll never forget what that pastor said. He said, because that church valued preaching more than people. And that hit me because I love preaching. I don't know if you could tell. I love it. I wish they wouldn't put a timer in the back so I could go all day. I love preaching. I love the lights, the stage. I love standing behind, beside the pulpit. I love it. But you know what? Preaching's not the most important part of my job. You know what it is? Loving people. People are not a product. People are our purpose. Listen, don't go to a church where they use people to grow the ministry. Go to a church that uses the ministry to be able to grow the people. That's what we're looking for because we want to be equipped. In another letter, Paul writes to the Ephesians and he gives the pastor's job description to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's not my job to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to create systems and organizations and pipelines and pathways so that way you can do the work of the ministry and fulfill the calling that God has placed on every single person in this room's life. It's not my job just to preach fiery sermons. It's my job to help you become who God knows you can be. And for the first five years of our church, we did terrible at this. Listen, I don't want this sermon to be like this weird flex, like redemption's amazing. Five things to look for in a church. We're number one. We're number over here. I don't want to do that because I wanna be honest with you that we're not a perfect church. Do not mistake our size for maturity here. Just because something's growing doesn't mean it's always mature, right? How many of you have have kids? You know that, right? I had to take my daughter back to school shopping in January. You know why? Because she started kindergarten in, in August and she's already outgrown all of her clothes, Right, because she's growing, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's mature. I can't let her drive yet, can I? Well, she tried once. It wasn't a very good thing, okay? Uh, but think about it parents of teenagers. Teenage years are, are, are weird, right? If there's teenagers in the room, I love you, okay? I'm not trying to, like, dog on you or anything. But, like, the teenage years are hard. Like, when you start high school, like, you don't know who your friends are. You don't know your identity. You don't know your group. You don't know the clothes that you're going to wear. You, you, you've lost so much of this, right? But you have the body of an adult. But many times you have the maturity of a child. Yeah. That, that's, that's just the reality of it. That's where we're at as a church. Our church is five years old. Where are we at? What stage are we in? We're probably in that that awkward teenage phase. I think the great theologian, Britney Spears said it best, not a girl, but not yet a woman. That's, That's where we're at as a church. We're not a girl, but we're not yet a woman. There we go. Come on. And so... God, that was perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what I want to show you. You never run out of next steps when you're walking with Jesus. As a church, we got to equip you to do what? To take your next step. So here's how we do it here. Everywhere, everyone has a next step. Where is your next step? So here's the pathway of discipleship. You start here as an attender, all right? Every single person in the room, congratulations. You made it to step one. Congratulations. Step one. So what do we do after that? We want to help you take your next step. So we have next steps. Right after service, next steps, 1230, we'll feed you and watch your kids. I'm there, all right, that sounds good. Serve team, we're going to go from next steps and we're going to get you serving because God did not create you to sit on a sideline. God gave you a purpose and he wants you to get in the game. We're going to move from serving, and then you're going to get plugged into a small group. This is where you find a community of people to do life together. We study God's word together, and then we live out that life together. Then we're going to invite you to first Wednesday prayer night. This is where we get a little more charismatic than usual. And we start really trying to encounter the spirit of God and learning to use our our gifts. We pray because it is prayer that grows the church. A church is only limited by the size of their prayers and it's prayer that unlocks the power of God. We move you over to team night so we can equip you. And then after those things, we ask you to go to membership to where then eventually you can move forward into leading a serve team, leading a small group. If you discern a spirit, call of ministry. Right now we have nine, nine people who are going through a redemption leadership college that will be ordained with the assemblies of God in October. And then we move into a leadership role. And then you can discern what ministry, whether it's planting a church, going into missions or becoming an elder at the church. So everywhere you're at from the parking lot to the pulpit, there is now a place for you to take your next steps. Because if you, if you want to, you need help to take that next step. You need an encouragement. You need people who are going to empower you to take that next step, to equip you. Because you don't want to just be showing up every Sunday, not knowing what you're doing or where you're going. No, you want to continue to be taking next steps when it comes to walking with Jesus. And what is it? You never run out of next steps when you're following Jesus. So where are you at on this chart? Where are you at when it comes, I shouldn't have done that the first time. Where are you at when it comes to your next steps? But here's what I wanna say as well, is that I understand that discipleship is not always easy. I know that sometimes you're gonna start here and you're going to be going down the path of discipleship. You're like, I got a next steps. I got a serve team. I got a small group. I went to first Wednesday prayer night. Uh-oh. Life happened, and I dipped out for six months. See, I get it. Life, discipleship is not a straight line. Oftentimes, discipleship looks like this. You're like, oh, oh, oh. But I want you to know that even if you started here and you fell back here, we're not gonna judge you. We're gonna love you and we're gonna help you get back on the path that God has for you. And so if you've been gone for three months, six months and you come back, hey, we're, we're so glad that you're here. We wanna help you continue to grow and move. You could pick up where you left off because there's a next step for you. You never run out of next steps. No matter how far you've run, you will never run out of next steps when you're walking with Jesus. So redemption is going to help you to do that, which leads to number four. <laughs> you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Find you a church where the church is encouraging you to be empowered. Let's, look at this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom, understanding, so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing with knowledge being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the endurance and the patience and the joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. You read that and you're like, that's a lot. Anybody read that and you're like, feeling overwhelmed already? You're like, oh my gosh, look at all these things. I gotta be filled, knowledge of his will, wisdom, understanding, walking. Oh my God, that's already hard enough. It is physically, I can't imagine doing it spiritually. In a manner that is worthy of the wisdom, pleasing, bearing fruit, good works. I don't even want to go to my job. Now i got to do God's. Increasing in knowledge. That's knowledge twice. Double knowledge. Oh, man. Strength and power, glory, might, endurance, patience, joy, and thanksgiving. You read it, and you're like, that's a big, long to-do list. Does anyone ever feel that way? Like the Christian life? It's just way too much for you. You read it and you're like, oh my goodness, look at all these things that God expects you to do. It's almost like it's too much. Anybody ever feel that way? You know why? Because it is. It's too much for you to do on your own, which is why you need to be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That word right there, filled, what is that? That is the Bible's language, For the Holy Spirit. That as we pour ourselves out, God, he begins to fill us up so that way we can be empowered to continue to live in the ministry and live out the mission that God has for us. We need to have churches that are being empowered by the Holy Spirit because on your own, you can't do it. But with God, you can. Think about the last words Jesus said to his disciples. Go make disciples of all nations we read that and we're like, yeah, that seems easy enough. And then you imagine like Peter and John, they're like, they haven't even discovered the rest of the world yet. How are we going to do that? They have trains, planes, automobiles. They don't have the internet. How am I going to go make disciples of all nations? How? Because in Acts chapter 2, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to where we are right now, downtown Beaumont, 2,000 years later, 601 Park Street, to the ends of the earth. How did they do it? All they did was go. And here's the reason why. It's because they knew this. The secret to being empowered by the Spirit is that you are responsible for your obedience, but God is responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for your obedience. Jesus said, go. He didn't tell them how, but he did tell them he would empower them, and as they go, he's the one who brings the results. Listen, I know that every single church, their vision should be bigger than them, because if you can accomplish your dreams without God, your dreams are too small. Every church's vision should be bigger than what they are capable of doing. We should be able to love the lost, reach the lost, we should see souls saved, we should see people baptized, we need to feed the hungry, clothe the orphans, build orphanages, we need to send missionaries, buy more Turkeys, buy more buildings. When you see more people healed, more people be delivered from their addictions, and all these different things, and you're just like, it's just way too much. You know why? Because it is. It's too much for any one person or one church to accomplish on their own. You ever feel like God just? You ever heard the saying, "God will never give you more than you can handle"? Wrong. God will oftentimes give you more than you can handle so that way you can learn to trust and depend on Him. Listen, we need churches that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are responsible for your obedience, but God is the one who is responsible for the outcome. Find you a church that's willing just to get down on the knees and say, God, we need you. We need you now more today than ever before. God, we need you to show up. God, we need you to move in power. We need you to move in might. God, we are allowed on a limb, and we are trusted in you. We're throwing our feet, throwing ourselves at your feet. Father, just move on our behalf. God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me enough strength to go for another day? Would you empower me to share the loss with my coworkers, to come home and to love my wife well? God, would you give me your strength to get down on my knees and play my little pony with these girls? God, would you give me the strength to be a good dad? You need to find you a church who is willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, because you recognize it's just too much for you to do it by yourself. Which leads to the fifth and the final point is this. Find you a point where, a place where you can experience life change through Jesus. Here, here's how Paul closes this section of scripture. And he says, he has, that's Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You ever wonder where redemption gets its name from? Right here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know why we called our church Redemption Church? It's because we love to see people experience life change through Jesus. I never get tired of seeing people walk through these doors one way, meet Jesus, and walk out completely different. I never get tired of hearing stories in small groups about people who show up and they don't even know the difference between the big letters and the small letters in their Bible. But when they start reading that word, all of a sudden God, he just begins speaking truth into their life. There is a passion, a fire. There is a hunger for the word. I never get tired of hearing that. I never get tired of seeing the altars filled with people with tears down their face because they've run from God and prodigal sons and daughters finding a home. I never get tired of whenever first Wednesday prayer Nights come, and people have been seeking the Holy Spirit, and they get baptized in the Spirit. I never get tired of seeing that. I never get tired of seeing whenever the baptism waters are filled as people begin to tell their testimonies and stories. I never get tired of seeing whenever addictions come in, and they get the chains broken off of them. I never get tired of seeing people with depression finally find enough hope and encouragement to be able to not only have a breakthrough in their mental health, but also have the courage to get real help when it comes to seeing a licensed professional counselor. I never get tired of whenever I see marriages be restored, whenever I see children who can quote Bible stories or they bring their tithe to the back and they get a kid's buck. I never get tired of seeing it whenever people come up and give me hugs in the lobby and they just say, God, this church has changed my life. I never get tired of seeing life change through Jesus and I pray that I never do because in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And you know what happens? When sinners come to church, it gets messy. You ever notice that? Because sin makes a mess. Sin is so messy. And sinners, when they come to church, oh a bunch of filthy sinners. But that's not God's identity over you. He doesn't call you a sinner. What twice in this text he says, you're a saint. And when that happens, you know what? It makes the church messy. But I wouldn't have it any other way because the same people that make the church messy are the same people who give the church meaning. I don't want a church that's perfect. I don't want a church where I have to pretend when I come through these doors. I don't wanna go to a church that doesn't have a little grime on it. I don't wanna go to a church where the baptism is empty and it's been dry for years. I don't want to go to a church that keeps the doors locked on Sunday mornings. I don't want to go to a church where I have to fake it. I have to say, how are you doing, brother? I am blessed and highly favored. I am the head, not the tail. I want to go to a church that says, I'm hurting today. I want to go to a church where it's got a little mess in it. You know why? Because it's in that mess that Jesus meets us. It's in that mess when we're honest about our life and our circumstance, it's in that mess because God can't heal what you hide. And if you're always wearing a mask, you'll never discover your identity. If you're always trying to fake it and please other people, you'll never discover what God has put inside of you because you're too busy trying to be somebody else. God can't bless that. All God can bless is your honesty. All God can heal is your hurts. And you bring those things to God and he will meet you right where you are at the goal. The goal, my friends, is not perfection. The goal, my friends, is to make progress. Just to be a little closer to Jesus every single day. Theologically, we know this is the doctrine of sanctification. It's the process of becoming a saint. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus and becoming who God has created you to be. I love the line that Picasso uses when he says what art is. Here's what Picasso said, art is the elimination of the unnecessary. That's what sanctification is too. That the more you love the Lord and pray and read your Bible and serve and give into the local church, as time goes on, the unnecessary parts of your life begin to come off. And like the hymns writer would say, The things of this world become strangely dim. That's how you become the saint that God knows that you can be. Five things to look for in a church. So let me close by offering you a challenge. Number one is this. If you've been coming to redemption for a while, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe even a year for some, and you have not yet gone all in, would you give me one year of your life? Would you say this year, I'm gonna give a year. I'm gonna gonna give a year, I'm gonna go all in, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna tithe, I'm gonna join a small group, I'm gonna be involved on the serve team, I'm gonna go to first Wednesday prayer nights, and during worship, I'm gonna lift my hands. (laughs) Would you give me one year and just watch what God's gonna do in your life? One year, go all in. But if you're here and you realize redemption's not home for you, if we don't meet all five of these requirements, these things to look for in a new church, it's okay. It's totally okay. I know that we're not a church for everybody, but I do know that there is a church for everybody. And there's a lot of amazing churches here in Southeast Texas. And so if we're not the church for you, would you do me a favor? Would you find a good local church and go all in at that church? Let me give you some recommendations. I would recommend Praise Church, Pastor Reg, He's a dear friend of mine. We, we meet for lunch pretty often. He's been a mentor of mine. He actually coached and helped me and I would often go to Pastor Reg and cry in the very beginning of our church and he was a great friend and a close mentor for me. I know that you'd be in good hands at Praise Church or Encounter Church in Mid-County. Pastor Brent, man, he's a great man of God. Their worship is amazing. They got some great small groups. God's doing some exciting things over there and I encourage you to be a part of that. Or maybe Bridgepoint in Orange, Bridge City. Pastor Lance, we call him Uncle Lance here. He's our crazy uncle. (laughs) Man, we love him. He's one of the elders here. He serves on the board of our church. I preach at their church every few years. So if you go there, you can still be able to say hi to me. (laughs) Or maybe Sojourn Church here in Beaumont. There are church plants there, Started at the same time, Pastor Joshua Jean, dear friend of mine. We've been walking through church planting together. We meet every single Tuesday for lunch to be able to just check in and pray and encourage each other. He's a dear, dear friend of mine. There's some amazing churches. Listen, I know redemption is not the church for everybody, and that's okay. But I do believe there is a church for everybody. And so, could I just encourage you to find a good church and to go all in? If it's redemption, praise the Lord, pass the communion. If it's somewhere else, hey, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ and we'll be worshiping together in glory for all of eternity.